Thank you for joining us at Truth Matters Church, a Bible teaching ministry. In this study, we continue to review some of what we've learned so far in our expository study of Revelation. Today, looking again at the Godhead and specifically the relationship of the Father and Son. While this may be a somewhat challenging message, we encourage you to search the scriptures with us to find what God's Word says, not just what men say is true. If you'd like to hear the original study on this topic, go to our website, truthmatterschurch.org, and search for the sermon titled, Equality with God. And as always, if you have questions or comments about today's lesson, please reach out to us again at truthmatterschurch.org. Leading our study, here is Pastor Alex Contaroja. We are continuing our review and look back from Daniel to Revelation and where we last left off. And what we've covered so far, and this is two years or so counting, uh, we've covered our guiding principles that we've set before us before we even be embarked on this journey. Uh, we, we reminded ourselves of some of the foundational basics, I would call them, and that we would need to have some level of understanding of Old Testament covenants, namely the Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic covenants. And also what I would consider as part of our foundational basics with respect to end times studies, we would need Daniel. And we reviewed our series on Daniel and his great visions, uh, being the great statue, the four great beasts, the ram and goat, and his epic 70 weeks prophecy. And we've also covered and summarized what we've learned so far in the first five chapters. So in about two years worth of study, uh, mixed between Daniel and Revelation, in the last two sessions, we got up to chapter five. So we're in a good pace. And I want to say this, again, be patient. And this is also for, for my sake. We had, before our long break, we had a great momentum. And part of us going through this is so that I'm, what's also front and center are the building blocks that we were building these past two years. So be patient as we're summarizing our learnings because not only for your sake, but for mine, so that I don't lose focus on the foundation that we spent all this time on building. And we're going to continue with that at least for this week. But before we get to chapter 6, if you recall, we went on an excursion. And before we get to that, I want us to revisit and relive this excursion. And the reason being, if it were not for this excursion, then, at least in my mind, I don't think we can grow in the grace and the knowledge of Him. So if I, as your teacher before you, didn't come to the, this, I call it epiphany, then I would be short-sighted and then I can only take you as far as I can see. So this is one of those journeys that proved to be very insightful. It's the very core of our faith. And you might not even realize it. But 
if we come to grips with what we're about to review, you come to grips with it, the Bible's going to explode before your eyes. Explode. It exploded for me. Guess what? Every time I go into Scripture now, there it is. There, there it is. It's everywhere. But you know what? Sadly, in the 20 plus years of studying, how come these are some of the things that aren't being talked about, that aren't being circulated? So that's why I take this time and our journey. It's very precious to me. And I've shared this with you before. I study for me, for my faith, for, for my curiosity. I'm a curious soul. I want to know the truth and I want to know everything. And for some of you, you're like, you, you just want a little or you just want enough to skirt by, not me. I want, I want all the details. Some of you, the details is mundane. To me, I find great pleasure because God is in the details. And doing this kind of as a, as a personal love and desire and pursuit, God also put it on my heart that I can't keep it to myself. And that's why it's a two-way street. I'm doing it because of my love and passion, but then he takes that love and passion, grants even greater grace, and he's like, okay, now share it. And that's what we're doing. But a couple of the excursions we took were in our studies titled Equality with God and Unashamed of the Godhead. And what I can say, at least for me personally, this was 20 years of just reading, studying, meditating. It took 20 years for this, I call it breakthrough. And when it bore fruit, it scared the living lights out of me. But here were some of those truths and learnings, if I may. We learned and we hold that Jesus is and was in fact God in the flesh. But what we also learned was that Jesus was not God the Father in the flesh. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's our confession as well. If we say, who do we say Christ is? He is the Christ, the Son of God in human form. We accept that. That's the heart of Christianity. But there were some challenges with this confession. That although Jesus was in fact God in the flesh, there were some limitations yeah, to his greatness and his omnipotence. His greatness and omniscience compared to his Father. Here was the words from our very own Lord's lips. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Jesus also speaking, and this time in Matthew 24, the first one was in John 14. He says, but of that day and hour, and this is concerning his coming at the end of the age. He goes, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, him, but the Father alone. Now, 
Like the Apostle Paul, I try to learn from the Apostle Paul. Do you notice when he writes something that seems to be confrontational, he anticipates a rebuttal? Like, for example, when he gets to Romans 9 and he talks about God's purpose in election might stand and that it doesn't depend on him who works but him who calls. And he goes and he uses the Old Testament and the examples that are written down for us that it's always on God's terms as far as election of the promise. And the Jews would come back and say, then why, do you, why does God find any fault with us? For who can resist his will? And Paul says, who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Cannot the potter do what he wants? So the Apostle Paul, he anticipates a rebuttal. So with this, when I say, or what we've learned, is that even though Jesus was God in the flesh, there were some limitations even to his greatness and omniscience compared to his Father. Someone might be like, wait, 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 hold, 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 hold on. Hold your horses, right? Some will say, that's true. But that's because Jesus was also human. That's the rebuttal. Wait, wait, Alex, I know Jesus said that, that the Father is greater than him, or I know that Jesus said in his own lips that he doesn't know the, the, the day or hour concerning his, the timing of his return, but that's because he was human. To that, I will reply with Scripture. Philippians 2.5, Paul says there, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he, speaking of Christ, existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Or when the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 1 verse 19, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And that's speaking of Christ. So if you're going to come back and with a rebuttal and say, well, the reason why Jesus was somewhat limited in his greatness or his omniscience was because he was human. Go to Philippians 2. He was always God. He was always God the Son. He always existed in the form of God. And it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness. Now, we, we, this is a study in and of itself, but when you read Colossians 1 in context. And this, this Greek word for fullness. In context, the wisdom and the knowledge that the Father has, He was pleased for all of that to be in His Son. And all of creation and all the fullness of it, and this is why when He created, He did it through the Son. Because he was pleased to have all the fullness of himself in his son. Christ was always the son. He was always deity. Regardless if he was in, in the flesh or in the flesh. He is and always was deity. So this notion or this rebuttal that says, well, no, Christ didn't know certain things or was limited because of his humanness you're going to have to reconsider. That's not the case. Because Jesus, even though he was human, he never ceased to possess all the attributes and qualities of the fullness of being God. So here's my admonition to us. I hate to say it. You can't pick and choose your doctrine on who God is. You can't pick and choose what you want to accept 
concerning God, whether it be the Father, Christ, and we'll talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit. The Scripture forms our doctrine. Amen? Jesus was and is God, God the Son in the flesh, but yet in certain things, the Father placed limitations on Him, even if it's for a time. And there's more to support this. How about when Jesus calls God my God? As he was dying on the cross, our Lord cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the letter to Sardis, which we studied many months ago, Jesus said there, he goes, Wake up and strengthen the things which remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Here, our Lord is glorified already. By the time John gets this great vision, and he sees our Lord and describes him in graphic detail, and he's now dictating, he's, he's basically transcribing, and the Lord is giving him the words, his words, our, uh, John is simply dictating what our Lord is saying. By the time we get to this letter to Sardis, our Lord Jesus was glorified already, and yet post resurrection post glorification he still calls the father my god in the letter to philadelphia jesus said there he who overcomes i will make him a pillar in the temple of my god and he will not go out from it anymore and i will write on him the name of my god and the name of the city of my god the new jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my god and my new name so pre Death, pre-resurrection, he called him the Father and his God. And post-death, post-resurrection, he calls him his God. And now you're ready for some bonus scripture. This is, we haven't covered this, but I, this is just one example of what I'm saying. And I've, when I've shared this with you, Jeremy, maybe to others, but once we've come across our learnings, and what we're talking about now, I, w- I had sleepless nights. And the truth that we're talking about right now provoked me to my very core that I couldn't sleep. And then I woke up in the middle of the night, disturbed, and then I go to Hebrews chapter 1. And I'm going to share with you some of these reflections. So if you're still not convinced of what we're learning... And what I just said, how about you hear it from the Father's lips? We heard it from our Lord's lips. He says, the Father is greater than I. He calls him my God. And he says, no one knows the day or the hour, or at least concerning the timing of his return. Not the, not the angels, not the Son, but the Father alone. What does the Father have to say concerning the Son? You ready? This is our bonus scripture. I'm going to read Hebrews 1. I'm going to pick it up in verse 5 through 14. For to which of the angels did he ever say, speaking of the Father, the Father is speaking here now. He goes, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. The Father is speaking. And of the angels, he says, 
Who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? But of the Son, he says, here's what the Father says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. The Father is speaking to the Son and calling him Lord. He called him, O God, and now he calls him Lord. And the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all become like an old garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up, and like a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Folks, we just read that. This is rich with theology. This is rich concerning the Godhead. We are hearing our Father speak concerning His Son. But there's a truth I want to point out in what we just read, and I want to go back to verses 8 and 9. And I'm going to highlight it. The Father is speaking here, okay? But of the Son, the Father says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of His kingdom, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. I'm going to highlight it. Therefore, God, the Father, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. The Father addresses Christ as, O God, and also addresses himself to Christ as your God. So when our Lord says, my God, the Father is my God, the Father says, I am your God. I am your God. You're like, wait. I know this goes against the grain, probably what we've been learning and taught concerning God. This is the scripture. Right there, I highlighted it. The Father calls him, O God, and yet the Father says, Your God. Saying, O Son, I'm your God. And the Son says, My God. (laughs) So whatever... Our views are concerning God. If we're going to submit to the truth revealed in Scripture, we need to accept this truth and reality that Jesus is God and yet the Father is His God. Got to get that. If we don't, you're going to be short-sighted on who God is. So although, here's a, I'm bringing this in. So although Jesus is and was God, the Christ, the Son of God in flesh, He is not the Father, He was not the Father. He is not greater than His Father. And for a time, He was not fully omniscient as His Father. In fact, the Father, as we learned, is His God and our God too. Thus, when Jesus was calling God His own Father, and here was the learning, because what do we do when the Scripture says, well, Christ, being in the form of God, although He existed in the form of God, didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He humbled Himself even to the point of a slave. He took on the form of a slave and he humbled himself to obedience, even death on a cross. 
when Paul says that he didn't claim equality with God a thing to be grasped, that doesn't mean that the son is 50-50 with the father. That doesn't mean that. Because we say, oh, you're equal with God, so you must be 50-50. The father's not greater than you, and you are not greater than the father. But we just looked at scripture that completely trumps that. Furthermore, it doesn't mean that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one-third equal in the Godhead and that no one in the Godhead is greater than another. It's like, let's just say there's three people who are like, oh, you're greater. Oh, no, you're greater. Oh, no, you're greater. Oh, no, you're greater. Oh, you're greater. You're like, oh, no one's greater. We're just equal. Sounds funny, right? But that's what we're taught. That's what we're taught. That's what I was taught in the theology books, in teachings concerning God. I'm like, how do you make sense of this whole thing? They're like, well, they're 50-50 or they're a third equal and we just accept it. We're like, but we're reading some of these scriptures that says something else. You know, now when we're speaking about what I'm speaking about, I have full confidence in what I'm proclaiming to you. And it's not because I'm special. It's not because I'm lucky, blessed in that way. No, because we read the scripture, period. And at the pace that we're going, and if I wasn't as thorough, then probably would have missed this big one. This is a big one. So here's the great truth. Are you ready? And I'm going to say this unapologetically. I'm, I'm going to say this, no reservations. The Father is the undisputed, greatest God, God Almighty, Most High God. The Son is the undisputed, greatest, and only Son of God, the only begotten of God Almighty, and He is Son of the Most High God. And the Father has granted all of His authority in heaven and on earth, including the title of Lord and Savior to Christ Jesus. Because the Father was pleased to have the fullness of the deity dwell in him. And he's like, son, I'm going to give you all of my wisdom. I'm going to give you all of my knowledge. I'm going to give you all of my understanding. And I'm going to give it all to you. And I'm going to give you my very own name, authority. And you, my son, will carry the title as Lord and Savior. Because you know who is the Lord and the Savior? The Father. And yet, he says, son, I want you to be like me. Didn't Paul say this? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is God to the glory, or that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the gospel, folks. But if this is new for us, then that tells us that the gospel message, generally that's being circulated out there, is not a true representation of the biblical gospel. Folks, this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what if I just said, you know what I just said? If our Lord was here, he would say amen. He would say it. He would say amen to what what was just proclaimed and what we are confessing. He's saying amen. He said the same thing. We hold the testimony that he holds concerning the Father Himself. 
So when the scripture speaks of Jesus being equal with God, here's really what it means. And I said this before. If God the Father himself were to come here, you bow in love, worship, and adoration for who he is. He is worthy of that, and he deserves that. Nothing less. Can't compete with that. But if our very own Lord comes, he is to be treated equally, the same as we would treat his Father. We're not saying he's the Father, but we're like, but if you were the Father, we wouldn't do anything any less. We wouldn't give you any less worship. We wouldn't give you any less adoration. We wouldn't give you any, any, any less of our love because of who you are, the only begotten of the Father. And the Father chose you. He begotten you. And now he's filled you. And he sent you to rescue us. We love you, my Christ and my Savior. That's what equality with God means. And if you were to ask the Father, let's say, we, let's say the throne was here. Like, hey, Father, what's your, what's your will? Can you tell me what your will is? He would say, that all would honor the Son as they honor Him. That's the Father's will. John 5, 23. That's the Father's will. Honor the Son. Whatever He says, listen to Him. He is my Son, my one and only Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's the Father's will. Honor the Son as they honor Him. Treat Him equally the same. Equality with God. If you were to ask the Son, hey, Christ, what's your will? You have your will too? Okay, are we getting this? The Father has a will and the Son has a will. Distinct. The Father's will is that all would honor the Son as they honor Him. Okay, the the Son, what's your will? He goes, my will is to do the will of Him who sent me. He said, that's my food, is to do the will of Him who sent me. If you ask Him, He goes, for I have come down out of heaven not to do my own will, He has His own. He goes, but the will of him who sent me. You're like, wait, God has more than one will? Oh, yeah. The Father has his will, and the Son has his will. They're distinct entities. You're like, wait, wait, wait. I thought God was one entity. Yes, they're one in unity, one in harmony. In heaven, do we see one figure or two? We see one figure on the throne, and there's someone seated at his right hand. There's two figures. Not one, two. And I remember this question as a baby Christian. When you go to heaven, what are you going to see? I remember this. I'm like, I didn't know. Now I can tell you. There's going to be someone sitting on the throne, and there's a seat right next to him at his right hand. And they are not one person. They are two persons. Like, really, Alex? Yeah, really. That's what the scripture reveals. So with that, catch this. Apart from the Father, Jesus alone is to be fully worshipped, adored, loved, and obeyed. No one else. So for us, as human beings, created in the image of God, the only being that deserves our full worship, our adoration, our love, our praise, and our obedience It's either the Father and or the Son, period. Anything else is in competition with God. But can I get an amen? Amen. 
Yes. So here, let me, okay, with that. Remember, everything in creation points to our creator, okay? Everything. Life itself. He is life. So we think about man created in the image of God. And you also think about, well, Adam is the son of man, right? The son of God. Human relationships is a picture of our creator. And Paul, when he gets into this great mystery, when he, when he looks at the husband and wife relationship, he points that as a parallel between a, a husband and a wife, and then we have Christ and his church, the bride. So the, when a man and a woman come together in union with one another, it's a picture of Christ and his church coming and having union together. Now, on, there's furthermore parallels to the human relationship. When you look at the family, we know that in today's time and culture, the definition of family is all over the map. But we know that the scripture declares and teaches us that when God created man, he created them man and woman, male and female. And the purpose of that was that the, they can come together as husband and wife and procreate. So if you look at even just the pattern of human, humanity, it takes a male and a female to reproduce. We know through Scripture that that is the pattern and the definition of a family. So now with that definition of a family, now stay with me, a father and a son, we get it. Some of us have our fathers and have a son. So we get it. The son's not me, and I'm not the son. We get that in a human relationship. Why is it, when it gets to the Godhead, somehow it doesn't line up? No, what we're learning is that he's still the father and son relationship. In a, in a human relationship, is the son greater than the father? No. In fact, they don't even have rights and privileges yet until they come of age. So we understand it on a human level that a father and son relationship, we can understand that. That's also a picture of the father and son in the Godhead relationship. It's the same. That relationship in the human side, it points to the relationship in the Godhead. We can get that, and it'll help us understand God. But yet, for some reason, we're like, oh, well, you know, um, we're what's kind of been, I, I hate to say it, kind of stuffed down our throat. Well, you know, Christ is equal with the Father, so we have to just keep him up there. But if, when, if we do that, we're going to be short-sighted on the relationship. You're going to be short-sighted in all of Scripture. That's the gospel. The gospel is God had a son, and he sent him to be the Savior of the world. We get it. We get it. Okay, so we get the Father and Son, right? We got this. What about the Holy Spirit? What about the Holy Spirit? Thanks again for joining us today at Truth Matters Church. Be sure to come back for part two of this message as Pastor Alex discusses some of what the Scripture teaches on the Holy Spirit, specifically in his relationship to the Father and the Son. 
As a reminder, all of Pastor Alex's messages are available online and for free, so you can listen, review, or catch up in our study at your convenience. Just stop by our website, truthmatterschurch.org. We also encourage you to tune into our studies on Friday nights on our website, again, truthmatterschurch.org, or on Sermon Audio. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.